You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. He needed it. He had to have it. He must have it. There was no other way. If life was going to get better for him, he needed to have it. Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He needed it. In fact, I'd say he had convinced himself that he deserved it after all. It would be his anyway, might as well be today. He needed it now. I mean, no reason to wait. And so the father gave what the son requested. The property was divided among the children. He needed it. He had it. But you know, it wasn't enough. Even with what his father gave, it wasn't enough. He, he took it all. all. All that he had left, it was an adventure. It was a journey into the far country. Everything was before him, food and women and luxury. He needed it. He had to have it all. And so with money in his pocket, he spent and he spent and he spent some of it, might call it reckless living. He wasted it all. Once surrounded by everything he thought he needed, he would soon find himself surrounded by pigs in the field. He would soon find himself craving the pods that the livestock ate. I mean, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? And here I am. Here I am going to die of hunger. It's the beginning of the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, the story of a man that had convinced himself that his greatest wants were actually his greatest need. And while certainly it moves on to become a a story of redemption, it must first be a story of tragedy. I'd say, friends, we, we often confuse the things that we want in this life as our greatest need. How many men and women have been driven to divorce and bankruptcy by convincing themselves they needed something that they actually just wanted? The truth is, we're no stronger than children of parables. It's our tragedy. It's our warning sign. And so it begs this eternal question in our hearts and our minds this morning. What do we really need? What do you really need? What do, like, what do I really need? And thankfully, like always, God's word answers that for us. So let me show us that answer as we conclude the study of Philippians 4, 10 through 20 and the series Faithfully Supplied. But as we do every week, before we study this passage, let's pray together. Father, we uh, come before you in just confession. The things that spin in our brain, the desires in our heart, are just driving us to things that we want that have no eternal value, that, that really are things that, not, that are not what our heart needs. God, 
Teach us through just the profound authority of your word this morning what we really need. What we really need this morning. And we'll submit all of that to you um, for your name's sake. And we pray these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's difficult to convey everything you think and believe and feel in a letter. And so for all the love and affection that the Apostle Paul felt toward this church in Philippi, like how could he possibly say it all in, at one time? His communication was coming to an end, and soon Epaphroditus would make this dangerous journey back to the city for delivery, like how God had been gracious to spare his life, how God had been gracious to meet all of their needs. And so Paul, who, who understood what it meant to have plenty, who understood what it meant to have little, would bring this letter to a close, a doxology, if you will. And so like every week, let's back it up for context. We'll start again in verse 10. And then we'll keep our, our focus in verses 19 through 20. So if you have a physical Bible um, or a digital Bible, I'll, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, it's all there um, in the bulletin. But uh, let's read together. So we'll start in verse 10. Philippians 4, verse 10, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. I mean, you were, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. I mean, I've, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content, and I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in and every circumstance. I have, I've learned the secret of facing plenty in hunger, abundance, in need. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me, verse 14. And so, yeah, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And then verse 19, our focus for this morning. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's the question. What do we really need? I mean, that's the question we're going to answer from the passage because I'm sure we already have a thousand answers in our mind. Like, what we need are our personal debt paid off. We, we need a, a better job that pays more money. We need a bigger house. We need to fix things in our house. We need a, a, a car that doesn't scare us to drive. We need groceries to not be so expensive. We need a decent vacation. We need our children to get along. We need some solid friends to spend time with. Like We, we, we need a thousand different things, and to be fair, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, and the authority of God's Word is about to speak into that, but this is Colossians 3, verse 1. So if then, because not everyone has, if then you have been raised with Christ, we'll seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are earth, on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, it's not just about our horizontal needs, but our vertical need. So with our mind set on the things above with eternity in view, like with 10,000 years from now in view, what do we really need? Not an exhaustive list, but a healthy focus from the passage today. What do we really need? Here's um, point one. We need to trust in our God. We need to trust in our God. Now, before we expound on that, let me just bring our attention to these important possessive pronouns found in verses 19 and 20. Paul says, my God. Paul says, our God. And Father. And please don't overlook the significance of that reality. This thing is not about some intellectual facts that Paul would like to share with others. This thing isn't about some religious ideology that can give us a better life. This thing is personal. It's a, it's a personal faith. Paul has experienced in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, kind of faith. Those verses read like this. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of, the tru- of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, well, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So Paul believes in the gospel that Christ died, that Christ rose from the dead, Paul has been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So this thing is personal. Like it wasn't just a faith for the Philippians. It was a faith of of Paul. The obvious question is, well, what about you? And I know it's the South and there's a church on every corner, but salvation is not found because your parents or your grandparents were or are Christians. Salvation is not found When the Lord is a God, or the God, or their God, salvation is found when you can say in your heart and soul, well, he's my God. My God. Can you say that? I mean, this thing must be personal, or it will always feel miserable. It will always feel like a list of boring rules from a boss that you didn't even sign up to work for. No, he's my God. Well, what kind of God is he? Verse 19, he's a God that will supply every need of yours. Simply, we can trust him. We trust him because we know him. We trust the Lord because he's never let us down. People let us down. You let yourself down. The Lord, no, he he always does what he says he will do. A verse I've, I've read quite a bit, but Isaiah 55, 11, it says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. God doesn't make promises he won't keep. So if, if the word says that he will supply every need of ours, well, we can have assurance that he means that. 
But there's more to discover in verse 19. Yes, we know that we can trust our God, but I guess in, in what ways can we trust our God? So let me, let me clarify that with some context. Um, you know I'm not going to give you just two points. So uh, let me expand on point one. I'll give you uh, three different letters of, of points here in your notes if, if note-taking is your thing. But um, in what ways can we trust our God? Let me give you letter A. Trust that God will bless when we give. Trust that. Like we cannot read verse 19 without the context of verses 10 through 18. So Paul has found himself in a Roman prison for preaching the gospel. It's not a place with a dining hall and three meals a day. He's dependent upon the generosity of believers for food and clothing. And this church in Philippi had, had sent him a care package to meet some of his needs. This church had like consistently and financially supported the ministry of Paul from Macedonia to Thessalonica to the jailhouse. Like this church was a financially generous church, not because they had a lot of money to offer, but they had a lot of heart. This is a passage I read last week. So for context, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and, and as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So, so some out of their extreme poverty financially supported the needs of the saints. So when Paul writes verse 19, he's telling this church, like, look, y'all have, have given me um, and others so much. You've taken care of others, and although I, like, I can't repay you from a Ro Roman prison, my God, my God sees your generosity and will supply every need of yours. Friends, simply, you and I will be blessed when we give. That's not me peddling some prosperity gospel garbage. It's the promise of the Bible. So let me read that for you. Starting in Proverbs 3. Just going to fire away some scripture here. Proverbs uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Then chapter 11, verse 24, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Proverbs 21, starting verse 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him. For his hands refuse to labor all day long. He craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. And then growing up in church, I'm sure you heard this one. Malachi 3, uh, verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That, they may be, uh, f that there may be food in my house, thereby put me to test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is more, no more need. Matthew 6, starting verse 2. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees it in secret, will reward you, 2 Corinthians 
9, verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is reward, there is blessing when we are cheerful financial givers. And as much as some preachers try to distort that for personal gain, we should not deny the truth. Yes, there is reward and glory. Yes, there is eternal blessings, but it's more than that. There is blessing in this life for those that financially give. Now, let me step out of the passage and just give testimony. Um, my wife and I have, have seen that um, in our life. When we first got married, we got married young. Uh, I was 21, she was 19. Uh, we were not generous givers. Uh, we didn't financially give to anyone um, or any church. Uh, we went out to eat a lot. Uh, we bought whatever random things we wanted at stores. We went on vacations on credit cards with no plans to pay them off, but we weren't generous. And because we weren't generous, we struggled financially. I mean, every month was uh, a financial marriage fight. Every month was a money crisis. And of course, like, we couldn't even think about being generous because we didn't have any money left at the end of the month. But through the teaching of the word, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, our hearts began to change. We, we decided in our heart to give, and we became cheerful and faithful givers. Did it magically fix all our money problems? No. Did, did all of our debt disappear with a prayer? No. But I can confidently tell you it got better. I can confidently tell you that giving has and continues to rip the greed out of my heart every month. I can tell you that God has blessed us in ways that I know he would not have blessed us if we chose not to give. It's a promise of the Bible. God will bless when we give. Well, how can we, how can we trust that? Well, let me give you letter B. Trust that God has inexhaustible resources. Inexhaustible resources. So looking back at verse 19, it says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So why in the world would I trust God to supply my every need? Well, how much does God own? Everything. It's the supremacy of Christ, Colossians 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Christ owns it all. All things were made through him and for him. So when Paul says that, well, God, that God will supply every need of ours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, we're talking about limitless resources. All right, so it's basketball season. Uh, we watch games on TV. Uh, we watch um, and attend our own kids' games. We attend other kids' games. It's a lot of basketball. And for me, I, I mean, I love it. But every time we go to a game, my kids act like we've not fed them 
for a week. And every five seconds, they begged to visit the concession stand for popcorn and candy. Side note, our kids are cyclones, but um, Hampton High School has the best popcorn in the area. Just throwing that out there um, for your information. Regardless, they beg us for snacks and uh, we have to have this conversation about what we can and can't buy, that we have food at home, that we have a budget we need to stick to, that money doesn't grow on trees, uh, favorite line of parents. And like I, I truly think my kids think we are living with a stockpile of cash and their Scrooge dad is just trying to ruin all their fun. But the truth is, every parent has financial limits, limits on how much they can spend on their kids. Limits on how much they can bless their kids. But God? No. He's dealing with inexhaustible resources. Like there is no bank account limit. There is no budget. He has it all. So Paul does not say God is supplying our needs out of his riches, which would be a pretty big deal. He actually says that God is supplying our needs according to his riches. Simply like God is not seeing how much we need and then giving us a weekly allowance. God is seeing how much we need and supplying it all according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's that big. It's that rewarding. It's that sufficient. It's that trustworthy, which leads us to letter C of how we can trust our God. It's the obvious one. We'll trust that God will take care of every need. Trust him for that. Now let's take that at face value um, at first, because we should. We trust that God is really going to take care of our every need. This is Matthew 6, starting verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. That's the kind of faith that we must have. That every basic need that we have, God's going to meet. That he will provide food for the hungry. He will provide clothes and shelter for the cold. So being anxious over those kinds of things, it's literally a lack of trust in our God. Like tomorrow's got enough to worry about. It doesn't need to be that. God will take care of you. God will meet every need. Like just breathe this morning. Just rest. Just trust him in that. Matthew 7, 11. If you then who are evil, you could have put that a little nicer. Um, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We serve a good God who gives good gifts to those who ask. That's the power of God through prayer. Prayers are not powerful. Let me say that again. For our Bible Belt ears. Prayers are not powerful. God is powerful through prayer, which is why we must be a people of prayer. 
according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, we can trust that he will supply every need that we have. And yet, you know, like as true as all of that is, we need to understand that in light of correct theology. Let me remind us um, of the Apostle Paul's sufferings. 2 Corinthians 11, starting verse 24, Paul says five times, I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil, hardship, through many a sleepless night, and hunger, and thirst, often without food, and cold, and exposure. Let's be real transparent. It certainly seems like Paul has some unmet needs in his life. Beaten, robbed, hungry, homeless, cold. Where's God in all that? I mean, was, was Paul just not praying for any of these things to get better? Did Paul not have enough faith? I mean, why did God not meet some of Paul's most basic needs? Well, let me explain it this way. God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory, not your riches in your glory. Meaning, God will always give us what we need to give him glory in whatever situation or circumstance we find ourselves in. Yeah, that, that might be hunger at times. That, that might be in danger and suffering at times. That God will supply every need that we have according to his riches and glory for his glory. Which would lead us to verse 20 and point two. What do we really need? Well, we need to glorify our Father. That's what we need to do. We need to glorify our Father. That's what this is all about. That's what this church is about. That's what your life should be about. It's not about magnifying self. It's not about magnifying East River Park. It's about the glory and the majesty of the Heavenly Father. It's lifting up the name of Jesus as we glorify the Father. We are miserable because we have spent our lives glorifying ourselves. We're frustrated because we can't stop glorifying ourselves. We're emotionally empty because we only think about glorifying ourselves. We're bitter and wounded because we never quit glorifying ourselves. It's the gospel calling to go kill your pride at the cross of Christ and glorify the Father. We're no victims at Calvary. We're sinners just begging for mercy. I mean, that's what this is all about. Arrogant Christians, I'm sure you know some, arrogant Christians are either in need of repentance or they're no Christians at all. Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives light to all in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory, not to you, to your Father who is in heaven. Shine your good works 
Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'll prove it in Philippians. Philippians 1.29. For it has granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for not your good pleasure, his good pleasure. Chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Friends, this thing is not for your name's sake or for your glory. Your existence and your purpose and your salvation is for the glory of God. J.I. Packer, he put it like this. Our high and privileged calling is to do the will of God and the power of God for the glory of God. We need to glorify our Father. All right. During the late 80s, uh, throughout most of the 90s, there is a, a time on Friday nights called TGIF, if you might have remembered that uh, time. I'd say the biggest TV programming on the block would air. This was before DVR or streaming, so you had to plan your weekends to be around these TV shows. And um, all of these shows consisted of family comedies, shows like Full House, Family Matters, Step by Step, uh, Boy Meets World. And so every Friday night, you would gather around the TV to watch the, the newest episode. And, as much as I miss those days of, of entertainment, there was one thing I believe we all took for granted. Because even during that time, there was a father figure that stood above the rest. Like in every show, there was an educated man that stood up for what was right, that led his family with love and wisdom. There was a time in American entertainment where the dad wasn't clueless and his children didn't run all over him. There was a time in American entertainment when the father knew best. It was even a show. Father knows best. He knew the right thing to do. He knew the right way to go. We are sadly living in a fatherless generation where we are mindlessly discipled by fatherless entertainment. You don't think that's messing with our worldview? So I don't know what you've been watching I don't know what kind of earthly dad you have or had. Maybe he was clueless. Maybe he was mean and abusive. Maybe he was everything that you've always hated. It's just not our Heavenly Father. No, our, our Heavenly Father knows best. And our Heavenly Father, He has the keys to the kingdom and the inexhaustible treasure that lies inside. And our, our Heavenly Father will supply every need that we have to glorify Him in every situation. So yeah, we are, we are most certainly faithfully supplied to glorify God forever and ever. That's your main point, maybe the main point of the whole series. We will glorify God forever and ever. But let's pray together. God, we're thankful for just the, the study over the past few weeks to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ, to gather with 
with even uh, individuals who might be curious about what it means to follow Christ and to open your word, to, to have the authority of God's word before us, to study verses 10 through 20. Um, but God, we pray specifically that you would reveal to us through the power of your word, um, through the power of the Holy Spirit, what our greatest need is. That we can trust you, that you will not let us down. God, that we would spend our lives for your glory and you, will have, you have and will supply every need that we have according to your riches in Christ Jesus. It's for your glory. So I'm thankful for just the, the conviction and the encouragement of your word. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.